how do I find opportunities to rip out waste? How do I find ways to make things better? And that mindset really helped me when I was forecasting. NFPNA, you may own a profit and a cash forecast. It could take weeks to complete, and it's probably taking years off your life because it's a super stressful process with a super accountable metric at the end, which is revenue, profit, and cash. What we're going to talk about today is how you can make that process way more sustainable by one, cutting down the time it takes, so not weeks, but days, and cutting to the chase we were able to turn around a profit forecast at Mivecast in about 24 to 48 hours. And we'll tell you how we did it so that you can too. And two, not just the speed, but the approach so that it isn't as super stressful and life-sucking, so to speak. It still will be a lot of work and it still will be stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be as bad as you think. And again, we'll talk through how we did it and how we made the profit forecast manageable because it's one of those things where you learn a ton when you profit forecast on a monthly basis for a company. And that is a great opportunity for you to learn and to grow your career. So Yardi, this is like a, kind of a swear word in FPNA. When a role says you own the monthly profit forecast, that's kind of scary. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us, what was your first experience owning a some form of profit or cash forecast? So my very first job coming out of college, I was part of an FMP program. And so in my very first role, I was in charge of managing our operating expenses and forecasting those expenses. Thankfully, operating expenses are a lot easier than, you know, something like the revenues or even the marketing spend. But the same principles apply, which is what does your department actually do, right? You can't forecast something that you don't understand. So one of the first things that I, I try to understand is, okay, I own, let's say the so my first role was at a plant, actually, similar to you, Drew. So I was like, well, what does my plant do? What does it spend on? How many people do we have? How many people support this plant? So I was trying to understand all those individual mechanics. And then I then layered in, you know, the factor of, okay, I know that naturally people are going to leave, you know, unless, you know, these are very highly tenured people and they just stay forever. That is amazing, which Drew, you and I know that's like long gone, but it would be great. It could make our job super easy. Like, hey, 10 people have been here for 30 years. Just forecast that out. You're good to go. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so for me, it was understanding how many people do we have? What do we actually spend on? And then taking that into account and being able to forecast out operating expenses, pretty fairly straightforward. So it wasn't that difficult, but it still helps you to understand how is the business operating? And the other thing that I like to think about, and this is kind of what we'll talk about as well, is like, how do you get the profit forecast to be quicker? A, know your business. Two, understand where are the gaps? Because every process has a gap. I was at GE. GE's been around for hundreds of years. They're arguably considered one of the most efficient companies. But even at GE, we had a concept called BCP, VCP. All it just stands for is variable cost productivity and base cost productivity. It's a way for the finance person to go, how do I find opportunities to rip out waste? How do I find ways to make things better? And that mindset really helped me when I was forecasting. Because I would look at our, like, let's say, utility spend. And it's like this. And it's going up a little bit. And I see it year over year. And I rip out inflation. So it's more one-to-one. And I look at it and go, wait a minute, why, why are we spending this much? Understand the drivers behind it. And then finding opportunities to make it better allowed me to make that profit forecast, at least in, our, in that operating expense line item to be a lot better, but also find a way to make myself look good in that process. 
How about you, Drew? I know you did a lot with Mimecast and you guys crushed that process in a couple of days. How did you uh, experience it and how did you guys find those opportunities? Yeah. So what you just talked about was like understanding the the nuts and bolts of like the business and how it connects to the numbers. Taking a step back, a profit forecasting process in itself, you got to start with the data. And it really comes down to a super simple matrix of accounts, say, let's just say accounts and departments and regions, if you're going to profit forecast reasons, but focus on accounts and departments. That's where you got to get it right first. I've seen companies where you have hundreds of departments and dozens of owners of those departments. You got to simplify that. The more people you got to talk to, to make budget decisions and to control spending and to do variance analysis with, the harder it is. So compress that list as much as you can. And then two with the the responsibility of the FP&A person as well, by the way, yeah, to help consolidate those accounts and departments. So, so that's what we did. We uh, actually at Mimecast originally, we allowed budget owners to input into the financial system of record, which was Adaptive Insights at the time, which is super dangerous, by the way. Don't recommend that. That's like having a car and like having the driver of the car, allowing other people to jump and, and grab the wheel, in my opinion. Like shit gets crazy. Yeah, really bad. Theory, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't let people edit profit forecasts on the fly because that stuff uh, gets messed up real quick. <laughs> so yeah, it is an FPNA. So if you have all these people, like you got to take charge and say, cool, I need a condensed group of people or uh, and that sort of thing to simplify the process. And then on the account side, that's where you get into like the stream of, of spend, I'll call it. Usually a PNL has got these major components, right? It has people. And within people, you have salaries, bonuses, commissions, and benefits. And you could have one person own all those components. Sometimes you're going to have commissions and bonuses separated out because those can be complex depending on your company. But that's where within your team and you as the ultimate owner and group leader of the team, you got to understand how those mechanics work. Once you get that down, hire an FP&A analyst or FP&A manager to help you with that process and make it boring. You talked about people recruiting. It'd be very easy if People stayed at the same company for 30 plus years. There's no hiring and there's not a lot of like firing, right? That is the complete opposite of today's world. People are getting laid off all the time and people are changing jobs all the time. And companies are hiring like crazy because there's a lot of funding being thrown around. So what you need to do is attach yourself at the hip of your recruiting staff, right? So that's where that person that you hire or you, if you're doing it on your own every week, get into the process of looking at the recruiting schedule. Who's coming in? And then attrition, who's leaving, constantly update that forecast weekly. So it's literally when you do your actually monthly forecast, you just take the data from that, put it into your uh, people count table in your forecasting system and let it run through. And then there's a couple other components, right? Like marketing spend. So marketing is like the wild, wild west because the spend isn't necessarily predictable, right? You could literally tomorrow probably spend a half million dollars on putting a billboard up at an airport or putting in something in uh, the New York Times, like some sort of uh, advertisement. So marketing, you really got to plan out like using a PO process, again, hiring some sort of FP&A analyst or manager to then manage this process on a weekly basis to say, hey, marketing, you have purchase orders. I want to see them. And then before we hit spend, we're going to double check and make sure it's okay to do that. Because as you track your results through the quarter and through the months, you may want to spend more, spend less, depending on what your profit targets are. Those are a couple of examples of like the components of the departments. You also have things like depreciation. Those are schedules. You'll have capital expenditures where you're buying equipment, right? And T&E, which is a little bit like the wild, wild west, because you can either have it owned within departments or like as a bigger group. But point is those accounts 
assign owners to those accounts within your FP&A team, whether it's yourself or the people you hire. Because then what you do, you partner with the slimmed down list of business partners because there's not 100 now, there's 10 or 15, and you make sure they have an ongoing relationship. There's no surprise at the end of the month because any surprises get flushed out throughout the week and mitigated. So then the next trick is if you can do this, this is super helpful, you hire globally. And again, not every company can do this, but the reason why we were able to do a profit forecast in 24 to 48 hours was because we had team members in the UK and in Asia, which was awesome because they're working while everybody's sleeping and vice versa, has its own challenges with like team management. But the cool thing was I would wake up and I would have, uh, let's say on the day two of close, I would have our results fully reported, variance analysis done, ready to go for review. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I would take the ball and people on our team would take the ball and start running with it. So having that distributed global team, super, super efficient and effective. And you have to deal with the challenges of like team meetings being like literally globally, but we'll get into that in another uh, podcast, so to speak. But yeah, that was kind of the the secret sauce, so to speak, was getting accounts streamlined and understood um, who owns it, departments streamlined and slimmed down, process distributed to FPNA analysts and managers within your team and ideally globally, so that it all comes together in this humming of a process that is a profit forecast and cash forecast that comes together in 24 to 48 hours, because that's when you can actually make quick decisions that influence your current month and quarter and ensure the business is on the right track. Does that make sense? That's a lot I know, but that it, it comes together. It's a, it's a really cool thing. The other thing that you brought up, which I loved, is that let's say you are the profit forecasting lead, right? Like, because there's always going to be that one person who does it all. And Drew, you were that person. I did it in my career as well. Being able to get to that department and and account level and understand that, like I like to say, with our with my teams when I was growing up, is like give them that roadmap, day one to day five. This is what's going to happen. Show people what they own. People kind of forget that when you give people ownership, people will try to rise to the occasion. They'll do their very damn best to deliver that result. What I've seen over and over in my career is that the teams where their forecasts don't hit the marks is typically where the process is that it's not a clear process. People don't know what they're doing. They don't know how their role intersects with what you're trying to do. So like, Drew, you had it perfect, which is like you have a global team. Those global teams do exactly what they're looking for. You're not telling them how to do their jobs, but you're saying, hey, you're part of this process B and C. I'm doing the A. Get this. We'll get it together. Push it together. I found in my career, every time when I involve everyone and ensure they understand, it's kind of like the military aspect. My father was in the military. When everyone understands their roles, it gives them more power. So like you said it great. Hey, here's a list of departments. Wait a minute. There's like 50 departments in this one area. What? No sense, guys. But again, it's like our prior episode where we shared with our people, when you build those relationships, within your own teams. Hey guys, hey, I'm seeing like 50 departments. Hey, maybe there's a different way to think about this stuff. Now you're not trying to educate that unless they report to you, but these are opportunities where it's like, because again, I think in FP&A, we kind of forget sometimes like these cost centers on the stuff, like they're there for a specific reason, right? It's because those teams have an objective and they structure their cost center in a way to achieve those objectives. And the simpler those things are, we always talk about keep things simple. Your profit forecast is a result of your process, which is a result of your systems. And so if you have a chance to take a step back and look at your system and go, wait a minute, why do we do that thing again? Like that adds nothing to the process, but it's adding a day to our profit forecast, get rid of that. And then you yeah. start to see the pieces. I mean, you know, our podcast is all about giving ideas and, and new ways of thinking. But one thing I learned a long time ago was 
a lot of FPNA people don't do this. You know, they just haven't built the skill, but I encourage people to learn how to mind map and build flow charts. Understand my close one, like how, how long does it take right now? Current state. What would the future state look like? Now everyone's going to say it in one day. Well, it, it is possible. But the question is, where is it today? Where is it going to be tomorrow? And what do I need to do to get to that point? Because I remember we were able to get our 14 day close down to five. And I all I did was I looked at our chart of everything we're doing. I'm going, wait a minute. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? And then you layer in just what we like to call mental models, second, third order console, because you can't take away a process that may affect something else. Like let's say your balance sheet forecast. You got to be careful of that stuff. But yeah, Drew, I love that you shared that earlier because I think a lot of times like we get overwhelmed by so many things that people forget like, hey, just open up this an Excel spreadsheet, write down your process, step one to step 10. What does everybody do there? And then you'll be able to quickly spot inefficiencies and make your clothes a little bit easier and hopefully a little more fun as well. Yeah, you really got me into the whole mind mapping thing a couple of years ago. It, it actually really is helpful visualizing these things. And I think in FPNA and honestly, in a lot of roles in general, people look at challenges of this takes a long time. I'm going to throw more people at it or more hours at it because that seems to be like the short term easiest road. And they're not wrong in saying, yeah, in the next day or two, like just plowing through it might be actually the easiest road. But if you do what you said, Let's actually spend time going through it. Why do we do this? Can we change it? Can we rip it out? Or should we keep doing it? And that takes a little bit more effort and time up front or a lot more effort up time and up front, but the gains you get are incredible. And like you said, we, we had a, another podcast episode on the relationships beyond spreadsheets, right? So that's where recommendations to a business leader in marketing, hey, I have to talk to 10 marketers to get a proper forecast done because there's 10 different owners of things. I need to talk to one. Here's why, and here's how it benefits you because you'll get data quicker so that you can understand what you want to spend money on and allow you to make those better, quicker decisions to you know, feed your own KPIs and metrics with feed our company success KPIs and metrics. So it's all interconnected. It can be overwhelming because it's so complex, relationships, data, and all those things. But when you just do a little bit every day and try to improve things just a little bit every day, like it, it truly does make huge exponential change over over a period of time and, and that's what we've seen in our career and we're still getting better at it we still do things that are inefficient and ineffective and we keep trying to hold accountable each other accountable to asking why which is all you can do yeah and it always goes back to like we always talk about all these things you're ultimately helping your ultimate business partner which is your cfo or it might be your CEO. it's your executives you know, at the end of the day, especially if you're at a public company where everything's public, you know, I always tell people like, you know, it's, it's, it'll benefit you in the long run. And you said it perfectly. That investment up front is going to save you months and months of headache. I mean, I assume most of our listeners are probably going to be in their job at least one year. Right. And if it's a terrible place, I would say just, just leave a little earlier than that. <laughs> yeah. But assuming you're going to be there at least a year, why not try to, you know, take some things make it your own. I'm a big believer of this. Make things your own. That doesn't mean go in and change everything up front. Don't do that. But as once you've kind of warmed up your role, you've been there three, six months, now look as an opportunity. We have a great article on this too, right? Drew? We, the How to crush your role as a manager in your first six months. But it's how do you now take it and run with it? You know, How do you make it your own? How do you put your stamp on this? Because that's really how you're going to make your mark. And all, honestly, it's going to be more fun because you're the one who's built it. When you have that ownership, it just feels more empowering. Yeah. Great, great episode today that we had here, Drew. 
Well said, sir. Let's sum up the profit forecasting realm. In short, profit forecasting, it's stressful. You're not alone in thinking that, hey, I'm overwhelmed by this process, but it can be better. And it can be this ultimate learning experience, not just for yourself and understanding data, but understanding how to set up a team and process. So look at your profit forecast and all the components across accounts, cost centers, and key stakeholders, and figure out why do you do all the things that you do and what takes the most time? And just constantly ask the question, why do I do this? Can I change it? Can I remove it? Or can I keep doing it? And your profit forecasting process will get better over time. And you can hit the same challenge that we had where it was, hey, can you get this done in 24 to 48 hours? Check out our show notes where we reference our 40 plus resources on FPNA best practices. And above all else, guys, remember, keep learning and keep having fun. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Cheers, guys. <laughs>